Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. It is referred to sometimes as the greatest poem ever written, certainly one of the most famous in American literature, yet it is often misquoted in a way. Known as the road less traveled, but it's actually titled The Road Not Taken. In 1916, Robert Frost masterfully penned these words Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, and I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages ages hence. Two roads diverge in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Two roads diverged in the wood, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. The road that we travel makes all the difference, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Think about the road that you've taken in life. Think about the decisions and the choices you've made in life. Some of them have turned out for good. Some had unseemly consequences. There is a road to salvation, and that makes all the difference in the world. There is a road to eternal life. Isaiah 35 tells us a highway shall be there, and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not Go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Tonight we continue a doctrinal series we're calling The Road to Salvation. Because we realize that doctrine matters, theology matters. It matters because it sets us on a course. And our hope is that this series would allow us to have this sense that we are on a road to eternal life and that the Word of God spells out the course that we should take to obtain salvation, to obtain eternal life. And so... In a quick recap, we understand that we need to be saved from our sin. 
all of us find ourselves in the category of a sinner. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are exempt from being in this category of a sinner. And what we understand is that sin has consequences. It separates us from God. Romans 6.23, for the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We talked about how Jesus is the only way to be saved and salvation comes to us through Jesus Christ. God made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins. God made a way for us be, to be reunited with him, to be reconciled to him. And that comes through Jesus Christ and him alone. John 14, 6 says that, and Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so this road to salvation is through Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners or still sinners, Christ died for us. He made a way for us to find redemption through him. When we speak of salvation, we talked about it in three uh, ways. The first is there's a past salvation where we were saved, meaning that at a past point in time, we came to a need of salvation and we received forgiveness of sin in a moment. We received that, that forgiveness and that control of sin and the power to uh, the, the freedom from the control of sin and the power to live for God. In the past, we had a past moment. We also could say that we are saved in the present. Right now, we are enjoying forgiveness of sins. We're enjoying the power to live above uh, the effects of sin. And so we not only had this past experience of salvation, we realize we are saved now. And that spirit that dwells in us allows us to be victorious over sin. And in the future... We can say that salvation is still in the future. We have not yet received that final and complete deliverance from the curse of sin. We are still in an imperfect and, and cursed world. We have mortal and corrupt bodies. We have the ability to sin. And so we anticipate that future hope, as was preached this Sunday, that future glory. We anticipate that future salvation. We talked about how we are partakers of this great salvation, both in this life and in the life to come. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so we realize that we are saved by grace, Christ's work on the cross. We're saved by his gift through faith. And we talked about how faith is kind of a threefold element. It's the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's the belief in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. And ultimately, faith is obedience to his commandments. Faith is uh, our obedience to his commandments. Hebrews chapter eleven six 6 says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 
It's the knowledge, it's the belief, it's the obedience that allows us to experience the grace of God in our life. Last week, we talked specifically about the power of repentance. It's that act of faith. Repentance is that act of faith that puts us on the road to salvation. It has the connotation of changing directions to turn around. We Reference Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their lands. And so we understood four elements of repentance. First, there had to be a recognition of sin. We had to understand that we are sinners. We had to confess that sin. We had to, to make a confession to God that we are sinners. There had to be a contrition for that sin, and we had to, to, to understand there is a godly sorrow that we have been contrary to the law of God, and there's a sorrow associated with it. And ultimately, we made a decision, and we make a decision in repentance to forsake sin. And so there's this, this path to uh, uh, repentance that we have where we recognize sin, we acknowledge sin, we're sorry for our sin, and then we forsake sin. That is the, the true move of repentance. Proverbs chapter 28, 13 says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. At some point, our recognition, confession, and contrition must be turned into action. So when we think about Peter, that great apostle who stood on the day of Pentecost, you read about him at the beginning of the book of Acts, Acts 1 and 2. He said to those people who were convicted of their sins, and who wanted to know what they should do about their sins, he said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so tonight, I want to talk about Peter's proclamation, Peter's Commandment to those standing there to be baptized. Why did Peter say they needed to be baptized? Was Peter just talking to this particular group that was there, this, this first group of people? Was baptism necessary for salvation? Is Peter putting it in those terms? Was Peter just suggesting to them, hey, Repent, and you should also consider being baptized. Was baptism a public confession in the moment? Was it just to speak to them that they've had a change of heart? I think when we talk about salvation and the road to salvation, people can become a little tense when you talk about the necessity of baptism in salvation. Sometimes, Baptism is viewed and considered a, a work, meaning something done by man and therefore has no bearing on salvation. Again, we come back to Ephesians chapter 2, 8. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so is baptism a work? Is baptism just an act of humanity that has no bearing in salvation? And so people can view sometimes baptism as a work because it involves human action. And again, I go back to the idea of faith, that faith is both the understanding who Jesus is, the belief in Jesus' work, but faith is also measured by obedience. And so, therefore, we realize that any decision we make in our human self can be thrown into the same category of a work if our definition of a work is simply only something done by human action. But I, I would say today that those who ask, do I have to be baptized to be saved? Does someone have to be baptized to be saved? I think the question is the wrong question to ask concerning salvation. We understand that it takes an act of the human will to repent. There's an act of the mind that happens in repentance. And so is that considered a work? Is belief in Jesus Christ considered a work? Because it's an act of the will. And so I think you get into the wrong question. I, I, I would suggest that we could answer the question do I have to be baptized to be saved by simply asking, what did Jesus say? It doesn't get much easier to answer the question than Jesus' own words. In Mark chapter 16, 16, Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. In other words, Jesus said, true belief will be tied to the decision to be baptized. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, then baptism is a moot point. It doesn't matter. But Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. So you, you could argue that Jesus' words answer that question. But I... I could answer the question of the necessity of baptism in salvation with the words of Jesus, but I don't think that's the right question to ask concerning baptism. I think concerning baptism, we should ask, why should we be baptized? Why should we be baptized? Because it's hard to argue that baptism is not taught in Scripture. So why should we consider baptism and understand its importance? Let's answer that question tonight. Why should we be baptized? I'll give you three reasons why I think we should be baptized. Knowing most of you listening tonight have been baptized, I want you to hang in there with me. Don't turn me off just yet because you understand everything there is about baptism. But I believe God wants us to be reminded of something concerning baptism. So hang in there with me. Why should we be baptized? Number one, first we understand Jesus said we should. We read Mark chapter 16, verse 16. He who believes and is baptized 
will be saved. But Jesus also said, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we should be baptized because Jesus said we should. His own words taught us that we should be baptized. We also realize the apostles taught that we should be baptized. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, 18, writing to the church, he said, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust, that, we might bring, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of the filth of flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. So here, Peter teaches the importance of baptism, and he ties it all the way back to Noah. He says it's a picture. Noah was a picture of what baptism does. It saves us. Paul would write to the Romans. He said, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death that just uh, through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in newness of life. For if we were we have been united together in likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So Paul emphasizes the importance, and he taught the importance of baptism. So we, we see teaching. Jesus taught it, and the apostles taught it. The second reason we should consider baptism and we should be baptized is the example that are set in Scripture. So we look at Jesus first. Jesus himself was baptized. It came to pass in those days, Mark 1, 9 says, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. He became a great example knowing what was to come, knowing what was going to uh, be uh, asked and what he would say later on. He said, I will be an example. The apostles also give us an example and were baptized and baptized others. We read Acts chapter 2, verse 38. We read Acts chapter 8, verse 12. When, when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized, and they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 9, 18 talks about the testimony of Paul, Paul himself. It says immediately there fell from his eyes, Paul's eyes, something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he rose, arose and was baptized. So Paul, the apostle, 
was baptized. Acts chapter 10, verse 5, when uh, the Cornelius and Peter came together, Cornelius was a Gentile, Peter began to preach to them about Jesus, and it says, those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. So after this experience with Cornelius, Peter goes and he reports to the disciples what had happened in verse number 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. They knew that God had touched them because of the spirit that was poured out. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that those should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. So here again, Peter not only preached it, but he practiced it. And in Acts chapter 19, another example where Paul is talking to a group of believers. They have only been baptized under John's baptism, which is a baptism of repentance. And Paul said, John indeed baptized with baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So we have both the teachings, the words of Jesus and the apostles. We have the examples, the actions of Jesus and the apostles. And there could be a lot of discussions on why to be baptized, but I would like to offer one more simple point on why we should be baptized. And we, I would offer, we should be baptized because of its effect in our life. Why should we be baptized? Because of its effect in our life. Remember, salvation has a past, present, and future reality. And I would say that baptism has this same sense of reality. Baptism has an effect in our past. Baptism has an effect in our present. And baptism has an effect in our future. In the past, we realize baptism has this singular, memorable moment. It's, it's this moment of decision, this point of decision where we look back on a moment in our life when we were baptized. It's a spiritual landmark. It's a spiritual transaction. It is a confession of faith. It's an acknowledgement of who Jesus is. It's a point of birth where you can look back and say, this happened in my life. And certainly, it has implications to our past in that it frees us from our past sins and our past mistakes. And so, baptism has an impact in our past. And here it is a very powerful moment. I don't know if you can remember the moment you were baptized or what that experience was like as you were led to that moment of baptism, but it's a beautiful experience, and it's an important experience and a powerful experience in our life, a great memory. However, I do not believe that baptism is intended to be something that only occurs just as a one-time experience and then has no real importance in our life. We do understand in Scripture that we are only called on to be baptized one time. 
But it's not meant to just be a singular moment that then has no present implication or future implication. And I would argue that in baptism, it is a point just like in our natural birth where we are named. It's it's an experience where we have a spiritual transaction that has implications through the rest of our life and into eternity. Not just because we went under water, but because we were named in that moment. When we were born, our parents gave us a name. And a name is not just a wonderful, special experience where you go, wow, I'm glad my parents gave me a name. I'm done with that. But the name that you were given has implications through the rest of your life. Your name is one of the most important things your parents did when they brought you in the world. In naming you, they identified you as their own. They gave you a name that brought you into relationship with them. For some, that identity is not very pleasant. For others, that identity has been a great blessing. I hope that someday that my parents leave me a large inheritance as their favorite child. I hope that they leave me a great inheritance. I'm not sure. But if they leave me anything in life, it's going to be because my name is associated with them. And my point tonight is that our baptism, while it is singular in a moment in the past, it is not just an experience relegated to the past. It has very much salvific, uh, salvific implications to our present and future realities. When I am baptized and you are baptized, we are named. I am adopted into the family of God, and I am given a name. I am identified as a child of God. I've used this example many times, but when we were teaching our girls about baptism, we taught them that while your name has a last name, Ellis, when you are baptized, you are going to receive another name, and it's actually going to be the greater of the surnames, and your name's not going to be Emma Marie Ellis or Audrey May Ellis or Ava Mary Alice Ellis, but it's going to be Emma Marie Ellis Jesus, Audrey May Ellis Jesus, uh, Ava Mary Alice Ellis Jesus. You're adding a name because now you are a child. You're being brought under the uh, headship of Jesus Christ. You're you're being a uh, uh, brought into his family and adopted by him, and your name has been changed. And so baptism is this beautiful experience that is 
uh, has implications to our lives beyond just a past experience, whether as a child or an adult where we went under the water. There is a moment in baptism where the name of Jesus Christ is called over you. And it's not just called over you, but you are renamed. You are born again. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, Paul uh, made this very clear. He said, for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? We're all sons and daughters of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seeds, seed and heirs according to the promise. And so, therefore, through faith, we believe in Jesus Christ, and that faith moves us to a moment of baptism, and it's through faith that we take on the name of Jesus Christ in baptism, and we are changed, and now we belong to Christ, and therefore, we are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise that our name in baptism being changed then sets us up just as if you're a family of a, a, a person who's going to leave you an inheritance, you receive that inheritance because of who your name is. And so it is when we are baptized. Our name in Christ allows us to receive a present, present uh, promise and a future promise. A present salvation and a future salvation. Because I am Christ, I live Differently, It has present implications. Baptism, because I wear the name of Christ, it affects how I live. Because I'm on the road to holiness and baptized in his name and I'm carrying his name and not my own, it affects how I live. Being baptized sets us up ultimately for a great future. It's through Christ and his name applied to my life that I have the potential for a future glory. Because I am Christ, I am his child. I have his name. And when we stand before God, baptism is what allows us to stand as one of his. God sees the work of Christ on us, that name that says you belong to Jesus Christ. Baptism is not just an act of water where we just make a public proclamation and then we move on with our life. It's an act of naming. It's the handing of a birth certificate with your name on it that says this has present and future implications. And ultimately, we realize that it allows us to enter into a covenant of forgiveness where our past sins are forgiven and our present sins can be forgiven because we are his. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says, If my people who are called by my name 
will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. When you're baptized in his name, you enter into a covenant of forgiveness with God. I don't know if you can recall the time that you were baptized. If you've never been baptized, I encourage you to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't wait. Don't wait for some future time, but be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because it is the power of salvation to us. It brings us into a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. For our app time tonight, I want to just simply ask this question. I want you to text somebody. I want you to think about somebody you might sit next to or near or somebody you love. Maybe they're not, they don't even belong in our church or belong. Maybe they don't even attend our church. They don't attend here. But you would reach out to them and ask them, have they ever been baptized? And if not, describe your baptism. What, what was it like when you were baptized? What led you to that moment? What was that experience like? For me, I was seven years old and was baptized in a cattle trough in our church in Canton, and it was a beautiful moment in my life. I can remember it and remember how I felt realizing that God had done a work in my life, that step of faith. And I I want you to describe that moment for somebody. Take a few minutes, and then we'll come right back. Well, I hope you had a chance to share with somebody your baptism experience uh, and the beauty of it, the power of it. There's sometimes some humor associated with it, some cold water, some uh, different things that happen in baptism, but it's a, a beautiful experience and a powerful experience. And we are baptized not just so we can say that we're saved, we're baptized because we have faith in Jesus Christ. And because he taught it, we, our faith causes us to obey and we realize he exampled it for us. And ultimately, we realize that in everyday life, baptism has an effect. Every day I wake up, whether I realize it or not, whether I think about it or not, if I've been baptized in his name, I am marked as a child 
of God. And so I want to bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4, verse 11 says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And so tonight, we are thankful for the work of Jesus Christ and his invitation to be partakers of salvation, to be with him. I'm thankful to be a child of God. And so I want to pray for you in closing. Lord, I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you for the reality of your word, the power of your word, the hope of your word, the promise that it brings to our lives. I thank you, God, for those who have made a decision to repent of their sins, those who believe in you, put their faith in you. Thank you for that, God, moment in their life and that decision in their life. I thank you for the baptisms that have taken place. Lord, even while we've been in in the restrictions of COVID, Lord, there have been those who have made a decision to be baptized. I pray, God, that you would continue to bring people to that great point of decision where they surrender their life and they are named by you. They are called by your name. I pray, God, that those of us who have been baptized, maybe it was decades ago, I pray that we would just have a fresh appreciation for what happened when we were baptized and that it would impact how we live and how we walk in this life. And I thank you, God, for the hope of heaven that we have, the forgiveness of sins that is because of your work on the cross. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you. I love you. We look forward to seeing you soon. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.